Well, I'm going to be uh, pretty brief this morning, but uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this morning, I just want to talk about, I want to talk about the church, Big C Church, and obviously it relates to us, but I want to talk about how the church is a, uh, is a super organism, and I'm going to explain what that means. So uh, a few, many months back, Clint Watson actually had a, a dream about our church specifically being like these life-size ants, like human-sized ants around this potato, and it was like we were waiting on the Lord, and you know, he called, he called me, it was like early Sunday morning. He's like, dude, this is, this is crazy. I don't think it's even the Lord, but I want to tell you anyways. And I was like, well, I think, I actually think that might be the Lord. And, um, so I've just been processing this dream with the Lord over, over the past few months and, you know, paralleling that I've been reading the scriptures about ants and I've been st- Actually, I've been reading this book on ants and how they behave and stuff like that. And, you know, so it's, it's not this exact parallel to the church, but there's a lot of similarities between ant colonies and, and the church. And so I just want to really kind of touch on that to begin with. And, um, and kind of just pr- like process this dream together of what does God mean by like, Let's be like the ant, you know, and it even says in, you know, Proverbs chapter six, it says, go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the har- for the harvest, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Then Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 through 25 says, Four things are small on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. So both of these scriptures talk about ants preparing for the harvest. And in the age that we're living in now, where we we have Isaiah 62, 10 commission as a church, which is to go through, go through the gates, Prepare the way for the people, build up, build up a highway and remove the stones and lift up a banner over the people. And so it's this, it's a scripture about preparing their way, about heralding a message. And what the verses that follow is, behold, he comes with his recompense before him. It's about the return of Jesus. And it's about preparing people for the return of Jesus and uh, Fernando Villalobos, whenever they went through the, the national revival in Bolivia in the 70s, he said this was their message. It was kind of three parts. Jesus loves you. Uh, Jesus is in, lives inside of you. Jesus is coming back. And so they would, he said they're, they're, all their mess, sermons were super simple, but they basically revolved around those three things. And so it is important. We have Christ in us. 
I believe that the kingdom is, is now and not yet, that we're, we have, we're not experiencing the fullness of the kingdom and we won't until Jesus actually returns. But here we are, our mission statement as a church to release, to equip a community to release heaven on earth. Because we believe that when people get healed, when they get a word, a prophetic word, it's heaven touching you. It's, it's the kingdom coming upon you. And so in my uh, study of ants, which is, uh, I'm not ready to write any papers yet or anything, but one of the things about ants is that, you know, people think about, you got the queen ant and you got all the worker ants and then they're just taking orders and doing everything that the queen ant is, is telling them to do. And it's not really, it doesn't really work that way. The queen ant does have a role to produce eggs, but she's not giving, she's not telling all the ants what to do. It's not as hierarchical as, as we think it is. And so in 1798, you have this French scientist, that she had, wrote that, saying that ants in the colony are not really subjugated workers. They're not, they're not servants to, that, to the queen. Instead, the colony has a single will, a single law based on the love each ant feels for the others. That was what he said. Ants have a single will, a single law, based on the love or the communication or the unity. You know, but th this is the words he used, the love that they have for each other. Another scientist, Herbert Spencer, he dubbed the term superorganism, comparing the ant colony not to a kingdom, but to a single organism, with the queen and workers all acting as cells that contribute to the life of one reproducing body. So you have ant colonies. You don't have ants reproducing ants. You have colonies reproducing colonies. And like I said, just because ants do not make more ants, they, colonies produce colonies. And so you look at it as, a, as each colony as a, as a single organism or a superorganism, and they're considered a superorganism because they're not, they're not robotic. They actually respond to changes in their environment intuitively. They, they shift how they function in order to kind of get the job done. And so it made me think about in John chapter three, it says those, you know, when you're born again, that we live by the spirit. And so John three, eight says this, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And the church is meant to be this flexible, moldable, like adaptable superorganism. How many of y'all have tried to kill, kill ant beds in your yard? Raise your hand. All right, have you won yet? <laughs> You, you, I mean, you may have, but you may have like scorched earth your, your yard or something like that. But I've been fighting with fire ants, my, you know, ever since we've been living in Farmington. I've got this really good powder that will kill the ant bed, but 10 feet away, they'll pop up. And it's like, you know, you just kind of resign to the fact that you're not going to like completely stop these ants, right? And so the church is the same way. Like you, you can't stop the church. Like nothing is going to stop the church. Because Jesus 
when he was talking to Peter, he said, Peter, and, and, and you are a rock. And upon this revelation or foundation, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about the revelation of the church or the revelation of himself being built, the church being built upon that revelation. And so, but one of the keys also in these Proverbs verses is it talks about Proverbs 6 is saying, oh, oh sluggard, look to the end. And I feel like one of the things that's been coming against the church as a whole, especially just in, in the West, is that there's, there's been like a slumbering spirit. There's been this kind of sluggishness. Uh, John Eldridge calls it like, we just kind of want things to be good again. We don't want like, all this tension and all this the fragility of the world that you just kind of wish it would go all, all go away. And so what can happen is we can kind of numb ourselves in different ways. Everybody's got ways that they can numb themselves. And you just sort of like, you know, we're, we're bombarded with information. You're bombarded with even trauma through social media because you're seeing like traumatic things. You know, you can you can pull up a video and see somebody getting murdered. Right. And, and so we're, the heart can't take all of these things. Like you're not, you were born for Eden, right? You weren't born for that. You were born for Eden. And so if you're taking it in and you're not like uh, giving it to Jesus, you're not giving any of the anxiety to Jesus, you're not giving the trauma to Jesus, then you, you're going to wear down and, and you have to comfort yourself. And that's why God says, I'm the God of all comfort. He wants to comfort us. And, that's, and that sluggish, slumbering spirit is what comes upon us when we're just like, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And what I believe that God wants to do, and it's, it's something that can be a spirit. It may not even be necessarily what's in your heart, but it's something that's coming against the church one way or the other. And I just want to pray even just right now in this moment for God to break off any kind of slumbering, sluggish spirit in us. Because Paul even says that it's time for the church to rise and shine, right? For your, your light has come. And so, Lord, we pray right now that you would break off any slumbering spirit off of us. That you'd break off sluggishness. Lord, any lukewarm spirit, the Laodicean spirit, Lord, Father, that's neither hot nor cold. Lord, anything that we're, that's in us that wants to comfort ourselves and numb ourselves, Lord, to the pain and trauma of this world that wants to disengage. Father, we ask that you would fill us full of the Holy Spirit and a fire right now. God, that you would touch our hearts with fire again, that you would touch our mouths with fire again, God, that we would consecrate ourselves, every member of our body, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hearts, that we would consecrate them to you. Lord, that we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto you. That this is our acceptable form of worship unto you, Lord. Because you are worthy. We've been bought with the price. And our life is not our own, God. So let us lay ourselves down on the altar again, Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask that you help us. We need your help. God of comfort, come and comfort us in those areas of our heart that need to be comforted, that need to be strengthened, that need to be encouraged, God. Lord, we, we look to you. Lord, you are, you are the God of hope. Fill us 
with all joy and peace in believing through the power of the Holy Spirit that we may abound in hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. So, I want to read through 1 Corinthians 12 in the message version because this is about the body of Christ and what every member brings. Every single member. And even through the, in this passage, it talks about the hidden members of the body are worthy of more honor. So think about the heart. Think about the lungs. Think about the liver. The, the parts of the body that do the dirty work. That keep things going, right? Those are the parts of the body that are worthy of honor. But they're not always seen. And God honors the things that are unseen. God sees everything. That's why he says, when you go pray, pray in secret. Because he's the one that rewards. And we don't live under man. We don't live for the praise of man. I was in the car the other day with Jessica. And uh, I was joking around about, she's like, somebody remembered to bring my purse to the car. And I was like, that was me. That was me. And she's like, okay, you just received your reward. You know, and uh, <laughs> You know, so I was, but like, I mean, who wants that reward, right? You, you want to be rewarded by God. You want to be rewarded by God. And so let's read this to get, this is the message version. So maybe let's just follow along up here because your translation is probably different. I read the New American Standard, but I really liked uh, the way just the message kind of worded this. So God's various, every, the other slides are bigger than this, I promise you. And so God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. I'm going to stand over here so I'm not in anybody's way. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. Here's the list. Wise counsel, clear understanding, simple trust, healing the sick, miraculous acts, proclamation, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretations of tongues. All these gifts have a common origin, but are handed out one by one by the Spirit of God. He decides who gets what and when. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we used to identify ourselves with, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. 
If Foote said, I'm not elegant like Han, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body. Would that make it so? If Ears said, I'm not beautiful like I, transparent and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all I, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. We, what we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is, a part is important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you, or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower part, the more basic, the, and therefore the necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. But when it's part of your own body you are concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is, without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept that you're part of that body does your part mean anything. You're familiar with some of the parts that God has formed in his church, which is his body. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracle workers, healers, helpers, organizers, those who pray in tongues. But it's obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body and not a gigantic, unidimensional part. It's not all apostle, not all prophet, not all miracle worker, not all healer, not all prayer in tongues, not all interpreter of tongues. And yet some of you keep competing for so-called important parts. But now I want to lay out a far better way for you. And he goes into 1 Corinthians 13, which talks about the way of love. And so I just wanted to read that and let it preach itself. That every member, every part, is a, is a contribution. Every member of the body of Christ is a contribution. God does not look at any of his children with, with any, to any less of degree of honor and love. A good father loves the way each and every child is made and, and how they've been gifted. Ephesians chapter four says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You remember when the scientist was talking about the ants being bonded in love? 
They have, they're, they're operating under a single will and a single law. It's the Spirit. It's the leadership of the Holy Spirit that binds us together. Those who are being led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And whenever we're in disunity, it's because one of us or both of us in the equation are not following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so God's bringing a day in his wisdom. He will orchestrate the church to be unified again under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. One father, one body, one spirit, one baptism. And again, I want to reemphasize, nothing can stop the church when we're following Jesus's leadership, when we're following the Holy Spirit, nothing can stop us. We, the church can be stopped if we're trying to do things our way. <laughs> it can be. But then we're no longer the church because we're like this, this flock that's gone out from under the shepherd. But in this, in this hour and in this day that we live, it's so important that we have, we go back to the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus, where you spend time with God in Eden every day. We have it through the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you can be restored. You can be healed. You can be comforted. But it's up to us. And, every, and when we come and we gather as a corporate body, what you're doing individually in your life with God is contributing to our experience because there is experiences in God that are only reserved corporately that you can't get individually. And there's experience in God that you can only get individually. But if you want it all, you, gotta, well, you have to do it both. And we have to get together not forsake the assembling of one another as the day approaches, talking about the day of Christ. Well, that's only getting closer and closer. So we should be getting together and together. It's that scripture that Jason read at the beginning. Every day they're breaking bread. They're going to the, the outer courts of the temple to, to talk about the Lord, to, to worship the Lord. And then they're going house to house, breaking bread, ministering to one another. And the people saw the love that they had for each other. And they wanted that. They saw the love that Christians have for one another and they wanted to be a part of that. So they will know we are Christians by our love. So we're going to go into a time of communion.